In part one of our series on Danny Rowling, we'll discuss, you guessed it, his traumatic and abusive upbringing. We'll also look at his foray into becoming a peeping Tom and how this led to an escalation in his sex crimes. Rowling was also a lousy criminal. We'll talk about his many robbery charges, his time in jail, and the triple murder that threw the town of Shreveport, Louisiana into a frenzy. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're popping some Molly for tonight's show, stick around. The rolling you're about to do is way more fun than the rolling we're going to be doing tonight. This is Necronomapod. Substance abuse and criminal behavior when he was very young, like Carl Pansram. Also, they share the numerous escapes from custody. His behavior was similar to the disorganization, sheer violence, and substance use we see with Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. He used the tactic of claiming to have multiple personalities, just like Kenneth Bianchi, the Hillside Strangler. He was active in a church community for quite some time, like Dennis Rader. And we see a pattern of escalation similar to that of James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer. In a way, Danny was a less disciplined and less organized version of D'Angelo. Did you guys have a spooky, fun Halloween? It's pretty good. Yeah. I didn't do anything. It's a fun Halloween. Did you pass out candy? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got my, my COVID booster that day. I wasn't feeling great, so I just mm-hmm. took a nap. Watched some horror movies? Yeah, something like that. There you go. Perhaps listen to the uh, tribute to Art Bell, Ghost to Ghost. We had a lot of good feedback on that one. I think people really enjoyed it. It's always fun. My favorite episode of the year, I think. Yeah, you typically. Know, I always like that one. It's a good time. Did anyone make any toenail coconut <laughs> cake? Maybe uh, for the holiday. Hmm, send us a picture. Maybe they're saving it for like Christmas and stuff. Thanksgiving. Have it on like the pie dessert table. <laughs> Serve it to the whole family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good plan. Sure. I mean, that's what they're doing. Or just coconut cake in general. Saw a few people said we ruined it for them. I don't know. Coconut cake's still delicious. Just don't think about it. Those little chips of crunchiness on top. <laughs> <laughs> little color impurities every now and then. Maybe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Limped on one of them. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was, uh, yeah, I think that was, that became one of our more popular calls that we've ever done too. Along with the, uh, the Area 51 guy. Classic. Yeah. Area 51, I think still number one. Yeah. Sir, you're misjudging the situation. <laughs> you're making a miscalculation. You're making a miscalculation. I'll <laughs> we'll have to revisit that one one day, too. There's just that long, like, 30-second pause at the end. He's like, well, I don't know what we just heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully people liked it. Hopefully everyone had a good Halloween. Now we're here in November. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> a.k.a. the good guys on Halloween. I did not enjoy that part of the day. In between your napping and not feeling well, that was the was that the worst part of your Sunday? It was. Yeah. It's a pretty distasteful outcome, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> any thoughts on that? You had, you had to listen to it for how many months now since the playoff uh, game? Yeah, the Browns got... Browns got cocky a bit. Browns beat themselves. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm a big fan of Baker Mayfield, no matter what. But it was kind of nice uh, when he was getting all fired up and yelling and shit from getting that first down on the sideline. 
Yeah. And then yeah. uh Landry found uh yeah, Landry fumbled it like almost right after. It's terrible. Like, terrible. One or yeah. two plays later. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he had a couple fumbles, didn't he? Landry, he had a tough game. Some drop passes, lots of drop passes. All like that. this is your job, your one job. You, you catch balls. Yeah. And there's been all that drama ever since. Odell. That's not great. Ian, do you like Baker strictly because he's never been accused of being a rapist? Is that, <laughs> is that part of why you like the guy? That's a plus for him. Yeah, right? I, th- I thought it would be. Yeah. It's not a reason to dislike a guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not, at least. I had plans to do just up continual IG stories all during the game and tagging Ian and then I, I, <laughs> with updates and I couldn't even make one. <laughs> That ruined my day. Is our uh, is our whole division four and four and better? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Because the Browns are four and four, and they're in last place. Yeah. We're going from first to last in a matter of weeks. That's the Cleveland way, Mike. Oh yeah, that's how we do it here. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> Summer to winter and uh, first to last. I gotta get through one more Sunday of uh, NASCAR this weekend, and then I'll start caring about football hardcore. Well, not hardcore, but I'll start paying attention more. So I'll be back in time for the rematch, Dave, in which Cleveland will probably win 56 to three. It probably. Yeah. Give or take. <laughs> the uh, best part about that game is when the punter got laid out, went flying across the, what the out of bounds and they replayed it like 57 times. Mm-hmm. That was some bullshit. Yet another you, angle. Can we see that? In a couple when, more when, uh, the Browns players helmet directly made contact with his jaw. <laughs> yeah, that was some <laughs> like bullshit under the face mask. <laughs> When I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, get up, pussy! It's a football hit." And then I saw the fucking kicker. Still, I watched enough football in my day to know that you can get up from that. And then I saw the replay, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, homie, stay down." He should. He was considered a fucking passer at that point. That should have been roughing the passer. It was don't masquerade as a quarterback, punter. You won't get tossed twenty feet out of bounds. Never mind the fact it was an illegal hit. Look fine to me. I just kept seeing like rest in peace, Chris Boswell, and like on the Steelers thing saying Chris Boswell died for this win. <laughs> he got laid the fuck out. Uh, so this is a guy we haven't really heard of before. And then we read the story and it's like, what the fuck? Pretty intense. Daniel Harold Rowling, a.k.a. The Gainesville Ripper, was born on May 26, 1954 to James and Claudia Rowling in Shreveport, Louisiana. His father, James, was a Korean War vet who had become a police officer after the war. Claudia was 17 when they first met, and the two of them got married when Claudia turned 19. Claudia got pregnant with Danny two weeks after her and James got married, and James was not happy about it at all. Should have worn a Jimmy hat, pal. Right? Yeah, it kind of goes both ways, right? (laughs) You can't be, if you're not using protection, you can't be mad about it. I always use Jimmy Hat brand condoms. <laughs> <laughs> it's not clear if the abuse started before Claudia got pregnant and ramped up or if it just all happened at once because she was pregnant. Either way, James Rowling hit, choked, and pushed Claudia down the stairs multiple times throughout her pregnancy. All the stress of this caused complications during birth, and doctors had to use forceps to pull Danny out by his head. The doctor used the forceps too hard, which left broken blood vessels on the sides of uh, Danny's head that stayed there until he was a year old. So probably some potential brain damage right off the bat. Right. You know, from day one. Is this the earliest case of uh, abuse 
one of our killers has had. He literally wasn't even born out of the womb yet and was getting mm. abused. Henry Lee Lucas is a compare. It might be worse than we're going to talk about. I tonight. had men of who we had oh. covered. Oh, who? Yeah, no. A few months later, Claudia got pregnant again and Kevin Rowling was born on August 15th, 1955. Spoiler, this made things worse. And the physical abuse started to include Danny. For example, between one and two years old, Danny was uh, severely beaten. Like the way it's told is that he was pushed really hard, like almost just like thrown uh, for not learning how to crawl fast enough. Because he did some like weird, like one leg out, kind of one leg tucked under like scoot thing. Hmm. And uh, as kids often do, James Rowling was not a fan of that. Wow. That's heinous. Yeah. And the way that that's told is that he like kind of threw him in his head hit like he hit off a wall. So, so not the most nurturing of fathers. I think it's safe. No, it's a little bit of John Wayne Gacy going on here. Look here, baby. You're going to crawl and you're going (laughs) to crawl across the carpet now. Oh, Gacy. Sorry. It's like John Wayne, the Duke. Look here, you little fucker. <laughs> he probably was abusive too now. Oh, the Duke? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. He was a dick. Was his, what are you, a communist, <laughs> baby? You can't crawl? <laughs> Were his siblings getting abused too, or was it just Danny? Kevin has later said that he thinks all the abuse was just focused on Danny. And he admits that he doesn't remember a solid chunk of his childhood. Like he blocked it out. So it leads your mind to believe that. I mean, I would assume both of them were getting abused and that's why Kevin had blocked all that out. I read that their father spent a lot more time with their, with their sister joint <laughs> joint rolling. I, you almost got me for a second. Cause I'm like, I'm 99.9% sure they don't have a sister. <laughs> I was just thinking, oh, here we go. Sex abuse now with the sister. It's going to get more depressing. Claudia took the kids and left multiple times, uh, varying from days to weeks, but she kept going back to the situation. And uh, there's a whole psychology uh, behind people returning to abusive relationships that I'm not going to pretend to understand. And there's also a lot of other things with this, like their aunt lived with them for a bit. And she tried to report numerous times the abuse that was going on. But because James was a police officer, the report just magically disappeared. Like he was Mr. Nice Guy to the rest of the world. And everyone's like, oh, this great police officer. And then at home was doing this stuff. Ian, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're suggesting the police officers might get preferential treatment inside (laughs) the justice system at certain times. Seems to be what has happened. That is just a shocking revelation. I never would have expected. Good to know for future cases. <laughs> That's a statement based on this incident alone. Lumping uh, all police officers no, into this statement. I said no such thing. It's all about context, Mike. Context. That's why I was trying to provide. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Several police officers listen to our show. Thank you for all your uh, service out there. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. When Danny was five years old, he fell off the back doorstep of their house and hit his head on the concrete steps. 
His eyes rolled back in his head and he went unconscious, giving him that classic head injury as a child that we've seen in multiple stories. And it could have been like you said, with the forceps, Mm -hmm. it could have been when his dad just fucking threw him down a hallway. Basically this didn't help, but this regardless is for sure a serious head injury. (laughs) He was an average student starting out in school. But in third grade, he was held back. And from there, he constantly got bad grades. In a report by a school counselor, Danny's bad grades were due to, quote, inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and lack of impulse control. When he was nine years old, Danny was molested by a cousin. Later on in life, he said that this only happened once because that cousin lived out of town and he wouldn't go into detail about it. Also around this time, Claudia attempted suicide by locking herself in the bathroom and slitting her wrists. James broke down the door and Claudia was admitted to the hospital for an extended period of time. Things were really bad before, but at least Danny and Kevin had Claudia as an escape from the abuse. But now with her gone, James started really putting down strict rules. For example, in the living room of their house, there was one couch. Uh, no chairs, anything like that. James would not allow Danny or Kevin to sit on the couch. They had to sit on the floor. Uh, and James was the only one allowed to sit on the couch. I have that role. It's not that unusual. <laughs> no one's allowed to have a seat. Yeah. I got a big sectional, too. I'm the only one that's allowed to sit on there. Is that also not the most guy thing ever, too, just to have a couch? One like couch? No furniture, no decorations, just a couch. Some milk crates in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> the milk crates hold the TV up. <laughs> His dad's probably the, the angriest I've been writing about an abusive parent so far in the show. Yeah, that's not good so far. This is borderline, you know, top of the line, worst couple pages we've had so far. And I, and I know later on during trial stuff we'll talk about next week, like Kevin gave a lot of examples of stuff and like around this time. He said he felt that something that stuck with Danny that he felt changed Danny was when their dad got mad at the dog and booted it and the rib, kicked it in the ribs and it just laid there and died. It took a couple of days, but died. Ugh. And he said, that's what he thinks or, you know, trigger. Yeah. yeah. That changed Danny. I can't think of anything more traumatic to see when you're a kid. Sure. Fast forward a couple years to Danny turning 14 and attending Woodlawn High School. Danny was doing better in school. Uh, He really liked history, and he was part of the high school band. One evening, a friend of Danny's came over and got Danny to sneak out of the house because this friend wanted to show him something. The two of them jumped a fence, and Danny's friend told him to look in the window of a house that they were now in the backyard of. The two of them watched a girl that they went to high school with get out of the shower and they saw everything. And this was kind of like a light bulb going off in Danny's head. He became obsessed with looking uh, in the windows of women and teenage girls. And it was something that he's going to do his whole life going forward. All I picture is a Pluto blue Tarski up on the ladder in animal house at the sorority house looking in the window (laughs) and he turns around and smiles at the camera (laughs) and the ladder falling falls off i forgot about that (laughs) he dropped out of high school at the start of his junior year and tried to join the navy and the navy shut him down so danny enlisted in the air force and was accepted 
He completed basic training in Texas and then moved on to be stationed in Florida, where he was an Air Force police officer. He served for about a year and a half, but was eventually discharged due to, quote, recurring behavioral problems from an underlying immature personality. He was constantly getting in trouble for smoking weed, stealing things, and just flat out not listening. And he also crashed one of their trucks, too. So the Air Force told him, just get the fuck out. We're done. You're really not cut out for military service. It's not for everyone. No, it's not. I think we've established it's not for anyone in this room. Certainly not for me. You want me to what? Walk outside? <laughs> nah, I'm going to lay here, Captain. Push-ups. See what time it is? <laughs> Sun's not even up yet. Fucking Christ, dude. Chill out. Why are you yelling at me? What do you mean march? What? In these boots? <laughs> Fucking feet are killing me. Yeah. He likes stripes. <laughs> going to boot camp. After the Air Force, Danny moved back to his family home in Shreveport, where he was called a piece of shit by his father constantly. He started going to the United Pentecostal Church of Shreveport, and it really clicked with him. He got baptized, went five days a week, joined the choir, dressed up like the Easter Bunny for Easter, and people at the church really liked him. All right, so terrible childhood experience, but at this point, he seems to be doing okay. Doesn't seem like he's off the deep end or anything. I would say that the looking in windows is bad. That's not great. Yeah, that's 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 not great. Do you think that's a common thing? Not in the day of cell phones when you just watch porn on your phone. Yeah, I guess like back in these days. I don't know if your friend went and got you like, hey, look at this. Are you turning away? When you're a kid? Yeah, I mean, I could 14. see someone doing that once, but then you making a habit of it and doing it constantly. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's common. It's a little creepy. Yeah, when you do it obsessively, it gets, yeah. it's starting you're to You're out get. every night spending three, four hours. <laughs> How you prevent that? Shut your fucking blinds. <laughs> that's a good point. Take appropriate countermeasures. Yeah, right. Shut down these peeping toms. During the, the day, world. they're not going to be able to see as well anyways. It's at night they're doing this, right? Yeah, right. Shut your blinds. You should start a security firm, Mike, with all this good advice you've got. <laughs> It's called Shut Your Blinds. <laughs> Shutyourblinds.com. Yeah. Hey, how can I keep peeping Tom's on? Shut your fucking blinds. <laughs> what are you, an idiot? What, what uh, security measures do you provide? Shut your blinds. <laughs> I'll come over and shut your blinds if you want. <laughs> At this church, Danny met Omatha Halko, and the two of them started dating. Danny thought Omatha was sent to him by God. And four months later, they got married on September 7th, 1974. A year later, they had a daughter. But after she was born, Danny changed. He went back to looking in windows, spying on women, and started using drugs again. Specifically acid. A whole bunch of acid. Amount of acid where it becomes an issue for uh, your brain later in life. You short circuit your brain. Yeah. <clears throat> How much acid does that take, Mike? Four. Four acids. <laughs> Four acids. Three acids? Okay. Four acids? Your brain's You got to be responsible. Okay. If you're going to do, do an acid. Don't do an acid. I almost said do a sid, but I don't think people know what I was talking about. That's inside <laughs> language. Sure, sure. Sure. Excuse me, drug dealer. Can I get three sids, please, sir? <laughs> I don't want four. Three, please. Three's my limit. <laughs> my brain cannot take four. <laughs> 
later on, Danny blamed this shift in his behavior on his wife because of their lack of uh, their lack of sex. He said she was really boring, you know, just really standard. Uh, mm. That's something he does throughout the, his whole life is blames everybody Blaming. else. Yeah. yeah, it's everybody else's fault, not his. Yeah, that's fairly common. Guess he gets that from his dad, right? You're pregnant. Well, yeah. This is your fault. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1976, Danny just up and left his wife and daughter for about a month. And when he came back, all he said that was was that he was in Florida. And Danny kept up with this distant behavior and started to physically abuse Omatha. And after an argument in 1977, where Danny threatened Omatha with a shotgun, she had enough and left. I wonder if that's learned that that domestic abuse is that learned behavior from watching your dad do it during your whole childhood. Probably to some degree. I would think so. The head trauma probably doesn't help. Acid doesn't help. Yeah, probably not. No, yeah, the acid definitely didn't help. I don't know. I I think it can go both ways. I think somebody could, you know, you can make a case for that being a learned behavior, but then there's people that go through that and they don't do stuff like that. You know, they come out fine because they would never dream of doing something like that to someone that they watch their mother go through. Sure. Yeah. For whatever reason, it can go both ways. The next two years of Danny's life were pretty uneventful as far as the story is concerned. He continued to spy on women through their windows and had trouble keeping a job. Moving into 1979, Danny had been trying to patch things up with Omatha and it wasn't working. So when he was served divorce papers, Danny took looking into women's windows to the next level. The same night that he got those divorce papers, Danny broke into the home of a college student who lived a couple of houses down from his. And he had also been spying on her for a while. He raped that young woman and then kicked off a crime spree that is going to end up leading to a triple murder. In May 1979, Danny robbed a 7-Eleven, but after the guy working handed him $11, Danny told him to keep it. It wasn't worth going through the robbery and the whole process. Too late, buddy. Yeah, you already fucking did it. (laughs) Doesn't count if you give it back. (laughs) I was only joking. Yeah. The next night, he robbed a small bar near his house and then a liquor store a couple nights later. In all of these robberies, Danny wore a ski mask and gloves to avoid leaving fingerprints or being seen. Doing all this criming in your own neighborhood, I'm not sure how smart that is. Yeah, and he did these all at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing with him is he never hurt anybody during any robberies. Mm. And he never was super aggressive. It was just the gun saying i hey i'm sorry it's not too but much trouble could you please open up the register and give <laughs> yeah. me some money like people said he said uh like people recounting those said that he would say sorry a lot like hmm. i'm sorry i'm doing this but i need the money it's interesting 10 days after he robbed the liquor store danny showed up in montgomery alabama and robbed a winn dixie grocery store then a week later he showed up in columbus georgia and robbed another winn dixie a witness saw Danny run into some nearby woods, and about 30 minutes later, police had him in custody. Danny admitted to the robberies, uh, admitted that the gun he had been using for these robberies was stolen from his father, which adds another charge because it's a police-issued gun. And all he said was that he was sorry. 
Oh, you're sorry. We didn't realize <laughs> that. Let us uh, uncuff you. Well, going through this story, too, it's like, sorry only works when you don't fucking do it again. Like, yeah, right. if you do it your whole life, you're not really sorry. <laughs> Danny ended up being sentenced to six years in Georgia State Prison. And two months into his sentence, he tried to escape. Danny was out doing road work, like picking up litter by the side of the road and asked one of the officers watching if he could go to the woods and uh, go to the bathroom. That officer said, yeah. And Danny just took off. <laughs> I mean, smart. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And a way accompanying him, like to, you know, look out and to right. wa- watch what's happening. I'll See you later. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Police caught him pretty quick after. And this isn't the last time Danny's going to try to escape. About a year later, he pulled the same routine, but this time when he was caught, there was a struggle resulting in Danny suffering a torn testicle that caused him issues for the rest of his life. I bet he was a sad sack after that. (laughs) Probably drove him nuts. (laughs) I I don't know what those issues were. Like the the book that I was reading didn't specify. It just said issues his Mm. whole life. I mean, some follow up on that one. Yeah. Danny kind of relaxed at that point and eased into his sentence and stayed under the radar which ended up earning him an early release in 1982. However, he needed to go serve his time in Alabama for all those robberies. Even though he had tried to escape twice before, when Danny got to St. Clair County Jail, he was put on kind of a good behavior assignment where he was given more leniency. Uh, Spoiler, a couple months later in July 1982, he took off again. This time he was out a little longer and it took police two days to catch him. This earned Danny having to serve the rest of his sentence doing hard labor at Staten Correctional Facility in Alabama. Hard labor does not sound fun. Can you imagine doing hard labor in Alabama? And a lot of those are tent jails. Oh, you're outside. You don't God. have a real cell. You're outside under a tent. It's like in a movie, you're breaking rocks all the yeah, live right. long day. <laughs> There was a documentary I watched about a, a tent tent prison down south. And the, yeah, they're just out there. I don't know. It can't be that bad. I've seen many Three Stooges episodes. Where <laughs> oh, you know, man. Doing hard labor and, you know, kooky hijinks ensue and it's fun. Oh, God. Well, didn't the state of Arizona end up paying out $100 million to people from Joe Arpaio, Sheriff Joe Arpaio's, you know, tent city out in the... I think whatever so. it was at Maricopa County out in Arizona, I don't you know, know where it's 115 degrees. Uh, that just sounds like the absolute worst. Damien Eccles in his book, he mm. at one point he was in a prison like that. He talked about the mosquito bites from being outside, like down south and outside. Uh, unimaginable. Like that your hands were swollen. When Danny finished up that sentence in June of 1985, he started hitchhiking through Mississippi a guy picked him up and it turns out the guy that was driving Danny had some warrants out for his arrest. This guy also had a 45 on him. So when they got pulled over by the police, this guy told Danny about the 45, um, kind of like, fuck, I have warrants and this gun here, take it. So I'm not the one holding this gun. So Danny just pocketed the 45 and pretty much walked away from the whole situation. While the police were talking to the other guy. Yeah, like he didn't get in trouble for any, like they didn't even, according to him, they didn't really question him at all. Just like when you had a piss in the woods. 
a couple weeks later on July 22nd, 1985, Danny robbed a Kroger in Clinton, Mississippi. He was wearing a ski mask, but one of the employees recognized his voice because Danny had come in earlier that day and asked an employee what time it was like, kind of like Danny was casing the store. <laughs> <laughs> and the employee's like, oh, yeah. say, uh, do you know what time it is? <laughs> this guy. I tell you, a bunch of these serial killers, they're not really good criminals. Mm-hmm. You see it time and time again. It's like the crime's not your thing. Uh, Charles Ng, he just fucking Terrible. bumbled his way yeah. through the crime right. world. Escaping is his thing. <laughs> That's right. But the crime itself is not. <laughs> That's right. Short periods of time yeah. escaping, not for good. Prolonged <laughs> escaping is not his He needed practice. He didn't have enough time to, you know, figure it out. Like, you need a... You need a plan when you escape, right? To get to Mexico or to do something. Something. Not just I mean, go out in the woods kind of and fuck around. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he wasn't playing hopscotch in the woods. <laughs> he probably was trying to get away. <laughs> that same night that he robbed that Kroger, Danny stole a car, but was arrested the next morning driving that stolen car. He sat in jail for a while, but on March 20th, 1986, he was sentenced to four years at... Hines County Detention Center in Mississippi. Not even a month later, while working on one of those assignments, like picking up litter, Danny escaped again. This time he made it a bit farther, uh, six days out and into Texas before he was caught and sent back to Mississippi. On his report card, shows improvement. (laughs) (laughs) This time he was sent to Parchman Prison, and this was not a good experience for Danny at all. He was finally considered an escape risk, and when other inmates found out that Danny's father was a police officer, he started getting threatened and fucked with. You think that's something they could bond over? Like what a a dickhead my cop dad is. You would think, yeah. Yeah. Guess not. Danny filed a request to be moved to another unit because he felt like his life was in danger. This was approved, and Danny was moved to Unit 24, which also included a small section that was the oldest area of the prison and had not been updated in the slightest bit. So not to be confused with Unit 731, now where can folks find that episode, Mike? I'd be available in the archives. Yeah, it's a good place to find it. I would rather be in Unit 24, I think. I think so. (laughs) If I had the choice, right? When Danny moved to Unit 24, he switched spots with an elderly inmate that had been at the prison for a very long time and had become really close with one of the guards that was responsible for Unit 24. It sounded like this guy had been there for a very long time. He was old, reformed, uh, but he was still stuck in there finishing up his sentence. Just like everybody liked this guy. Like, uh, what's his name in Shawshank? The, old, the librarian? Yeah. What was his name? Oh, uh, what was his name? <clears throat> Fuck. He carves it before he kills himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, shit. What was Be- his Beansy. No, it's something else. I can't remember his name. Yeah, but he was just guy, the though. old guy who yeah. was the librarian, and then they sent him on his way. and Everyone loved him. He had been institutionalized. Guy. Yeah. He had a little pig- pigeon that he kept in his pocket. That's right. Or was it a mouse? No, it was a little bird. Bird, he takes yeah. the maggot. And he, yeah, that's and right. And he thought he was going to eat it. I'm going to look up his name now. His we have to know. That's why I picked her when I read about this guy. Brooksy. Brooksy. Yeah. Beansy. I was close. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. Because this guard was pissed that Danny took the old guy's spot, the guard moved him to a cell that was in that really old part of Unit 24. The area where his cell was was cold, 
had rats, roaches, and the sewer would back up right into that cell sometimes. I don't think I would last in there. Like just the smallest minor inconvenience I can't take. Rats. <laughs> I can't do rats. I would never I, sleep. No. I would never, ever, I would, ever I sleep. I could not. Like if the air goes out, the power's out in the summer and the air's off for like a half an hour. Like I can't, that's way too much. Can you imagine being in this place? <laughs> now what I would do? I'd just cry all day. I, I, I don't think you're meant for uh, no. life in prison. I remember reading an old Bobby Kennedy biography, and it was about when he was senator of New York, and they were trying to use their influence to get an apartment complex that was in a very impoverished neighborhood to, to fix itself up. And like the landlord just weren't doing jack shit. And one of the stories that the tenants gave to Bobby and his team was that there's rats infested the building. And at night they get in my baby's crib and they bite my baby's toes. Oh my God. Trying to eat. I think about that at least once a week and it's haunting. First of all, because the poor damn baby, like, you know, doesn't know any better and then getting attacked by rats and then having to live in that situation. It's unimaginable. So like when I can't think even of like put rats now, yeah. I mean, I get exaggerated. I think of mice and I'm like, oh no, they're going to eat us in our sleep. <laughs> you know, and it's like nothing, you know, but for me, like mice would be for like how you guys are with spiders. Like if I saw a mice, that that's ball game. Mm. I, I won't get, I won't even go in that room again. If there was a mouse in this I think room. I'll take the mice before the, those fucking oh. wolf spiders. I will take the spiders. Uh, yeah, I'll take a mouse. Yeah. All right, you guys have the mice out. If there's a mouse, you guys are in charge. If there's yeah, a spider, mice, I'm in charge. They're cute and furry. They're nope. not bad. No. I'll hold a mouse. Yeah. Okay, yeah, until it's eating your baby <laughs> in New York. Danny ended up doing eight months of his time at Parchment Prison in solitary confinement in that cell, sometimes not getting his daily shower, making it a full 24 hours that he sometimes was just left in that cell. All in all, Danny served three years of that four-year sentence and was paroled on July 29th, 1988. I don't know. I mean, based on what this guy does later, it seems like maybe all this abuse isn't good for people's mental health. Imagine if someone stepped in and tried to help him. The story would have been over a long time ago. It might have been, Mike. It might have been. Or at least helped him like, hey, when you escape, here's what you do. <laughs> here's a passport to, to yeah. Mexico. It's a passport. <laughs> Don't kill any here's Americans. Here's a Bronco. <laughs> full tank of gas. Just go. In September 1988, Danny moved back into his parents' house in Shreveport and met a woman named Lillian Mills. Lillian was 20 years older than Danny, but the two of them hit it off and started dating. Lillian had nothing negative to really say about Danny other than she felt like he was uh, childlike in the way he wanted approval from his father. She said that their sex life was normal and he never did anything to hurt her or anything like that. You guys like older women? I always did when I was younger. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing against someone older than me. So he was 34. So she's, so she would have been 54 at this point. I'm not, I don't know about all that, but I mean, it would just depend on the woman, I guess. Like, I, I wouldn't say, like, oh, you're this old. You're immediately out. There's some hot 50-something-year-old women. I like older women. Yeah. I'm not against it. They don't play around. They're just down to fuck. They know what they want to do, right? Sounds good to me. <laughs> if, that's, if, that's, if that's the woman who's 20 years older than me, okay. All right, I'm going to throw an F. Mary kill. Let's go. Susan Sarandon, Ellen Barkin, Helen Mirren. I'm gonna All to go to attractive older women. I don't know who two of those three are. 
I should have known this would be a bust and you guys wouldn't know who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is tough. All right. I'm going to bang Susan Sarandon because I've always enjoyed those boobs. I'm going to marry Ellen Barkin. I think she might be the best of the three and then I'll kill Helen Mirren. That's exactly what I would pick as well. You said that's, that's the correct answer is what you're saying. That's the correct answer, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say the same thing. I'm not. I'm not really loving any of it, to be completely honest. So we, we figured out that Ian is not into the older one. I almost put Jane Fonda, 83, on this list. Like, should I put Betty White on this list? Well, you got to marry Betty White, right? Of course. All right. Well, now you're going to be known as the old uh, F. Mary Kill guy. Whenever we need like just some old men or yeah. old women, we'll go to you. Well, like now they're my age. It's no. It's not older women wow. anymore. Like they're my age. Danny worked a bunch of jobs throughout 1988 and then in 1989 he got hired at Pancho's Mexican Buffet. While working there he met another woman that he would have a relationship with named Diane Mays and Danny wanted their relationship to be serious but Diane wasn't ready for that. The relationship with Lillian obviously fizzled out and this one with Diane wasn't going anywhere at least as quick as Danny wanted it. Then on November 4th, 1989, he was fired for not showing up to work for three days in a row. Danny said that it was someone else's fault for messing up the schedule, but that excuse didn't work and he was still fired. Danny had been fired from a ton of jobs throughout his life, but for some reason being fired from ponchos made something switch in his head. Oh, come on. It's ponchos. I mean, it's like all the, all the reheated refried beans from last Tuesday you could eat. Have you guys That's ever a been sweet to a Mexican kick. buffet? Like, no, even exist? I don't know. It sounds horrible. Around 5.30 p.m. on November 4th, 1989, Tom Grissom, age 55, was playing with his grandson, Sean Grissom, age 8, out in Tom's backyard. Aside from playing, Tom was also grilling dinner, and the two of them were waiting for Tom's daughter, Sean's aunt, 24-year-old Julie Grissom, to come over. Together, they were going to celebrate Sean's eighth birthday in what sounded like an extra party because Tom and Julie couldn't uh, either be there for an actual birthday or something like that. Julie went to college for a couple years at Louisiana State University and then decided to move home for a bit to save money and take some classes that were closer to Shreveport. November 4th was a Saturday, so the plan was to celebrate Sean's birthday and then either Tom or Julie would drop him off at school Monday, November 6th. Like he was just going to stay the whole weekend. Around 6 p.m., Julie got home while Tom was inside getting dinner ready and Sean was playing Nintendo in the living room. Literally minutes after getting home, Danny Rowling slipped into the house through an unlocked door. Throughout this whole story, Danny never stopped looking into windows like briefly while he was going to church early on and then all that shit with uh omitha happened but ever since then ever since 79 he never stopped looking in windows and it's not clear if he was looking in their windows for weeks or months you don't know but he did say that he would go there around dawn and watch their mm-hmm. schedule watch them wake up open their windows and he was just from an area that they couldn't Freaky. see him some it was in the neighborhood too someone else in the neighborhood right uh, yeah pretty yeah. pretty close 
he was pretty much dressed like Rambo and he had a K bar knife that had an eight inch serrated blade, which I had to look that up because I've never seen spelled K a K bar knife, but that's a famous knife company, isn't it? It's like just that straight up military knife, mm-hmm. like that that standard wooden handle. It's got the hook at the end of it, and it's serrated. Okay. Right. And a thirty eight pistol. Holding the thirty eight, Danny handcuffed Tom Grissom's hands behind his back and duct taped his mouth shut. Danny did the same thing to Julie and Sean, duct taped their hands and mouths, then went back to Tom. Danny led Tom from the living room to a laundry room and stabbed him in the back, right by his kidney. Danny turned Tom around and stabbed under his chest in an upward motion toward his heart, pretty much killing Tom instantly. Danny then went back to the living room and almost like an inconvenience, like this is something that I just have to do as I'm walking by, uh, stabbed the knife into Sean's back one time, severing his spine And since Sean was an eight-year-old child, and this is such a big knife, the blade went all the way through to the other side of Sean's torso. Danny pulled out the knife and moved on to Julie, just leaving Sean to bleed to death. Danny took Julie to the bathroom where he raped her, then to Tom's bedroom. Once in the bedroom, Danny stabbed her three times in the back, once on the right side, once on the left, and once right in the middle, severing her spine. Once she was dead, Danny washed her vagina with vinegar to remove any trace of potential DNA, then used the washer and dryer to clean off his clothes. After his clothes were clean, Danny went around and took all the duct tape off the victims so there wouldn't be any fingerprints. I'm assuming he learned this from his dad. Um, And he posed Julie's body. He put Julie's body at the end of the bed with her legs spread apart toward the door and her arms above her head almost like a snow angel and he had her hair fanned out too like her hair was perfectly fanned oh out. my god <clears throat> so it seems like he really knows like what he's doing with killing them and with the knife where did that come from he said hunting was, was he a hunter or that's just what he said that's what he said i don't know also i mean animals are built a little different like but he's able to like sever their spine and you know in one and like cutting her on both sides severing her spine getting the uh what tom in the heart like Mm -hmm. he seemed pretty experienced it seems like a lot for your first murder based on like you're really good what we've seen and you're not very good at escaping prison but you're very good at killing right away seems like uh he he picked this up from something or somehow he has some hints of btk to him and I think that might be mm. why he was able to pull this off first. Remember, Dennis Rader almost annihilated the whole Otero family right. pretty early on. He just watched and waited. It's a good point. And that's what Danny did here. Who knows how long he was watching them, watching them long enough that he knew the layout of that house and their comings and goings. And maybe he thought about it all this time and he knew exactly what he was going to do. Yeah. I, know, I thought whole, it was interesting. Yeah. The whole randomness of crimes like that just make this so terrifying because it could just happen to anyone. You said anyone. that on the, um, oh God, what was our episode? I think it was the orange coat guy. 
Richard, Richard Chase. Chase. When he would just, was he the one that shot the guy just getting groceries out of his yes. car? Yeah. Random violence like this is terrifying. No idea who he was. Like you can live your life, you know, you don't do drugs, you don't associate with this, you don't do crime, you know, you're like, you know, I'm not part of that lifestyle. I'm not in that world. And just some rando breaks in your house and does this. Oh, and this wasn't man. like they could just uh, close their blinds or something. He was looking in daylight. They just, they mm-hmm. couldn't see him from where he was looking extremely brutal that's why i like i was thinking about it i'm like not everybody who is a fucking creep and looks in windows turns out to be a rapist and a murderer but sure every rapist and murderer sexual murderer looked in windows at one point yeah or did something similar yeah Yeah. but yeah good point though this is pretty uh seems like escalation right off the bat pretty high intensity crime here the posing is uh yeah. he knew that in his mind he yeah he had that set out that wasn't something that he just uh came up with on the spot yeah yeah because it was posed for uh effect whoever walked in that bedroom and mm-hmm. saw her the first thing they would see was her her legs on november 6th 1989 sean grissom didn't show up for school and when his mother tried to call her father to see what was going on no one answered. She then called the police and then the police called a neighbor of Tom Grissom's to go check and see if the house was locked. Uh, if I was that guy, I would have said, no, I would like you to uh, maybe go check it out. Yeah. Cause it's a wellness check. Yeah. And, yeah. and now you're putting yourself in, you know, line for the police to be like, well, you discovered this where, where were you were during this time? Your fingerprints are on the doorknob. Didn't it happen with Benoit? Didn't the cops call and have his neighbor go next door or something like that? They did have a neighbor go next door. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like that's fairly common. We've heard that before. Hey, go check. It just seems like lazy. You wouldn't want somebody, an outside person involved if something was wrong. Yeah. But again, as the outside person too, like I'm not going into a potential crime scene. Yeah. Like now I, yeah. Like, oh, cop, then the cops get there. Like, oh, what do you, what were you doing here? Like, motherfucker, you told me, you <laughs> told sent me, me here. Yeah. You deputized my ass. That's, that's a really weird. I forgot about that with the Benoit thing, too. And there's enough weird shit and all that, mm-hmm. anyways. But yeah, like, no, go do your fucking job. Yeah, that's just Show lazy up. police work. Like, I'm sure the guy's sleeping. We'll call the neighbor so we don't have to drive all the way out there. Yeah. So around 8 45 a.m., Tom's neighbor, Bob Coyles, walked over and noticed that it was real quiet. Like, usually Tom was out doing stuff, like in the yard, whatever, um, and it was just completely quiet. Bob walked to the side of the house and opened up a door that led to the laundry room. Bob didn't fully open the door and just kind of peeked in, and he saw a body laying on the floor covered in blood. Bob shut the door and rushed back to his house and called the police back. Danny Rowling wasn't on police radar at all for this crime. He had never been caught for that rape that he committed in 1979. And he didn't have any violent sexual crimes on his record. Um, just all those robberies. And no one knew he was looking in windows either. He had never been caught for any of this stuff. As the police were investigating, they quickly realized that this wasn't a robbery because nothing was taken from the home. So they theorized whoever killed them would have been someone that the Grissoms knew. Four days after the bodies were discovered, police publicly named Hal Carter as a suspect in the murders. Hal Carter was a local attorney and an ex-boyfriend of Julie's. 
nothing in their relationship pointed towards how being able to do something like this. But this was a situation where the community was freaking out. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Panic going through the community and the police wanted to get this case solved quick. Hal Carter was interviewed at great length and he provided an airplane ticket showing that he was in Atlanta when all of this happened. Police were able to clear him, but in a really scummy and really shitty move, police spokeswoman Cindy Chadwick refused to publicly clear Hal, leaving him in this limbo of people in the community thinking he had something to do with it. And then at the same time, behind the scenes, police had absolutely nothing. They knew it wasn't him. Yeah, oh. This poor guy just happened to date this girl. Mm-hmm. Now he's thrown into it. Now his career is going to be fucked. Mm-hmm. You would think that when you produce that airplane ticket, they could probably say, hey, yeah. it wasn't you. It would like publicly say it. Behind the scenes, they, they knew it. Oh, yeah. and they I said read it an interview him. with him. He said the police just had tunnel vision on him and didn't really up front look at anyone else. So. And, and Danny Rowling was not going to be the one, not going to be a suspect for this, you know, because he was not on it. How could he be? Right. Yeah. A lot of people in jail now that uh, were innocent because of police tunnel vision. Just imagine if they found him guilty and sentenced him to death. Hmm. Hmm. On March 8th, 1990, Cindy Chadwick was forced to publicly acknowledge the fact that the case had gone cold and all detectives working on this were reassigned to other cases. After the triple murder, people in Danny's life noticed that he had become extremely distant and was not himself. Then on April 27th, 1990, Danny got into a really bad car accident. During a storm, his car hydroplaned and hit a telephone pole. Because Danny wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he went flying out of the car and suffered another really severe head injury. Come on, God, you couldn't kill him? Blew through the windshield. <laughs> let this guy live. Yeah, that's his a... head oh. is about as bad as uh, that fucking Steelers punter. <laughs> last week. That's right. I said like five concussions in, in part one already. After Danny recovered, he started looking in women and teenage girls' windows again, but at a higher pace, like almost compulsively, like it was getting to an addiction that he had to go out and look. Then he started breaking in houses until he escalated to rape again. The first was a woman who was alone in her trailer with her baby. Danny broke in and as he was wrestling with the woman, she got cut on her hand, like pretty much just full on grabbed the blade of the knife. And this allowed her to slip away, get her baby and run for safety. Then he successfully raped a woman not far from his parents' house and stole a 38 pistol from her. A couple nights later, using that 38, he raped a 17-year-old girl after duct taping her hands and eyes. And this is like that classic uh, serial killer going on a cool down period after their first murder. Uh, and then they start to give themselves allowances, just little things here and there, building back to murder again. I can rape her, but as long as I don't kill her, I'm good. Yeah. You start to get bored with it or mm-hmm. not enough the adrenaline. The th- yeah, the thrill isn't there. So crazy. Another thing that had been a constant throughout this story is that every time Danny moved back into his parents' house, it was a nonstop fight between him and his father. And 36 years of physical and emotional abuse came to a head on May 18th, 1990. 
Does his mom still live there? Yeah. Yeah, she's still there. Wow, huh? According to Danny, that evening, he walked into the kitchen and put his foot on one of the kitchen chairs to tie his boot. It was like one of those benches that uh, that takes up the whole side of a table. Okay. Yeah. His father, James, started yelling at him to get his uh, foot off the bench, to which Danny said, quote, I got my foot on the bench, old man. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Uh-oh. To which his father said, quote, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to get rid of all of you as he grabbed a gun. James chased Danny outside and fired three warning shots in the air, then locked the door. Danny grabbed his 38 from the truck, kicked down the front door, firing three shots. One missed, one hit his father in the stomach, and the last one hit James right in the forehead. Danny then started kicking and stomping on James before fleeing the house. Damn. And his mom's there, and she's like, what the fuck? She saw the whole thing. God damn. Well, she came out. She heard the shots and came out, and then Danny's just stomping on him. Oh, man. That's a lot of built-up anger there, Yeah, it all came out at once. Yeah. And also, warning shots come down sometime, maybe on someone's head. I have so. never understood that. Like, they have to go somewhere. Yeah, they, they don't come just back down, and sometimes they hit people like, in the head. There has to be a story out there of something happening. There right? is. Or, like, sure. you're sitting in your house, all of a sudden a bullet comes sure. through the, the roof. Yeah, I never really thought of that. People before. have been killed like, by shots coming back down and people firing in the air. Yeah, like, just shoot, don't do that. Shoot at the ground, man. No warning shot up in the air. Or just don't fire your gun. You know, well, in, in a hostile, that. angry state, threatening someone. Good advice, Mike. Good advice. It's all part of uh, closure blind security. <laughs> <laughs> part of our thousand dollar package. <laughs> I'm going to do a commercial for closure blind. <laughs> closure blind security. <laughs> it's going to be real quick. Scared at night? Close your blinds. Yeah. Hello, hello. <laughs> Is this closure blind security? Someone's looking in my window. What do I do? <laughs> This had like a, a blind curtain thing happen. Like, close your blinds. Oh, thank you. That's great advice. We'll send you a bill, ma'am. Yeah. No, it's it's you. You're so you a subscriber. Like we don't just take cold calls. Thousand bucks a month. Unlimited calls for us to come close your blinds. Unlimited texts will remind you. Hey, don't shoot your firearm off in the air. Hello, close your blind security. The sun's setting and it's shining right through my window onto my TV. I'm trying to watch Wheel of Fortune. What should I do? Ma'am, you should close your blinds. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. Literally solves almost any problem you will ever have. Just close your blinds. Hello, close your blind security. There's a big fat man jerk masturbating in my front yard. I hurt in my eyes. What should I do? Ma'am, you should close your blinds. Why didn't I think of that? That's great. Thank you. That's why we're here, ma'am. Like we said a little bit ago, Danny did have people in his life that liked him and thought that he was a really nice guy. Uh, they knew he was a fuck up, but one that was working on fixing everything. Two of those people were Steve and Louisa Clausen, who Danny hung out with at a local bar and did some electrical work for them at their house. Around 10 p.m. that night, Steve and Louisa were in their bedroom watching TV. Steve was sitting in a love seat and Louisa was laying on their bed. Like they had this really big bedroom. 
Louisa all of a sudden looked super scared and Steve turned around to see Danny standing in the doorway to their room dressed like Rambo. A bougie big bedroom that fits a love seat. I know. Yeah, I they had a they had like the double like the double doors. Fancy. How it's described in the book, like the double doors just yeah. kind of opened and Danny's just they're dressed like Rambo. I want a love seat in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Or at least the space for it. Oh right? yeah. Put a big recliner, even something. Put a sectional. You put another sectional that no one can sit on but you, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> put a fuck swing in there. Put whatever you want in there. <laughs> what about one of those? What's the twist thing that you told us about? Oh, the the chair, <laughs> the uh, Chinese basket trick chair. Yeah. You have one of those. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> so Danny's standing there. He's dressed like Rambo, and he's holding a gun and told Steve and Louisa that he was in trouble. He had just shot his father and he needed their money to get out of town. Steve was trying to calm Danny down and said something along the lines of like, Hey man, we're friends to which Danny replied, quote, I am your friend. Your burglar alarm is going to go off and the security company will be calling. You better give them the right code because I saw your alarm system and I know how it works. <laughs> Meaning that Danny knew that there was a code word for yes, come and a code word for no or okay. When the phone rang, Danny put the gun to Steve's head and told him to say the code that everything was all right. After Steve gave the code word, he started trying to talk Danny down. He's like, uh, and say ops K. He's trying to talk him down. Like, all right, man, just put down the gun. And eventually Danny agreed to give Steve the gun and Steve it's like, okay, I'm going to take the gun. I'm going to go in the other room and I'll come back and we'll figure everything out. Steve took the gun to the other room, unloaded it and left it in there. When Steve got back to the room, Danny pulled out another gun that he had hidden his pants, pointed it at Steve and said, give me my gun back. Steve went back and got the gun and handed it to Danny. But Danny noticed that the bullets were missing. He immediately noticed that the, uh, that the gun was light. <laughs> He told Steve to go get the bullets and not to fuck around because he had already killed his father uh, and he didn't have an issue with killing them. Uh, Steve, you got the gun. You could have blasted him or held him at gunpoint and called the cops. Steve was holding out hope yeah. of being a good person in Big this situation. I mean, it, Steve. But like if it's your friend, would you do that? They're not friends like that. They're like hanging out at the bar. He did some electrical work friendly enough, but not. Yeah, I I don't know. Like if a bar acquaintance breaks to. into my house and said, hey, give me money. I just murdered my father. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, think I agree. I'm, I was thinking more that they were friends. Yeah. Like, like if one of you came to me and said that, I'm not going to kill you. You know, I, 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 at least I don't think I would. But that's not the situation they are. So I'm not sure I'd like that statement. <laughs> you want me to kill you? <laughs> I well, I know you're the guy that you would help me be getting to Mexico. I, I absolutely would. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Don't come to me if you did that. Good to know. Yeah. No. But I can assure you, I, I would not get the gun from you and then try to kill you. I would try to talk you through. Well, at least hold him at bay. I don't know. Yeah, you. He should have and called the cops while just like holding him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something. I mean, he didn't go ahead. I'm sorry. He didn't know that he had the gun, the second gun on him, but still. Yeah. They just seem like really decent people, though. Like that's they're not the kind that are like going to do that. Like they want to. Yeah. It's hard to fault people in a high, high intensity situation like that. 
But I guess if your wife's there, I don't know, when you get the gun, you kind of. But that's what I mean. Like, I feel like they're both just good people. Like, yeah. We want to like they don't even think about like yeah. violence or resorting to being threatening. They're just their mindset is we're going to help yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine being that nice of a person, Dave? No, not really. No, I'm not that nice. No. You think about shooting four different people before you get your coffee. In the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Turning on the news every day. Motherfucker. You're like, well, is today the day? <laughs> just remember, think about how well you do in prison. You don't want that life. I no, I would not do well. I don't think anyone in this room. No, excuse, well. me, officer. I'd be done. excuse me, officer. <laughs> My light's a little dim. <laughs> Can I get a hundred watt bulb in here? I'm having trouble reading this book. <laughs> I know you don't know how to read guard, but can you get me some light? <laughs> My asshole won't stop bleeding. I just want to be able to read this book. <laughs> Hello, close your blinds. <laughs> I'm flicking my bean in the front in front of my window and all the neighbors are looking in at me. What should I do? Hey ma'am, you should close your blinds. Oh, I didn't think of that. Good idea. <laughs> Wait, does it shut your blinds or close your blinds? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't either. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I said close your blinds. Maybe I said shut your blinds. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> curtains, too. If you have curtains, it also works. You don't have to just have blinds. If you just have curtains, oh. you go ahead and just close those. No one can see in. Oh. I only have drapes. Can I close those too? Well, ma'am, it depends, I guess, on that design. I'm not sure drapes are just going to work. Do they have the little tie around them? You can undo that and close them. That's a good one, yeah. See, we'll come out and do a full inspection, and we'll write detailed notes. And if we feel that you just have drapes and you need blinds, you better call a maintenance guy because we don't fucking Oh, you don't install those. Okay. Dave, we don't even know what end of a drill we use. We're security company. We're not fucking maintenance. Imagine they turn in like a big security contractor like Blackwater and you're sending like security consultants over to Iraq and stuff. Close your they're blinds. like they're at military intelligence like yeah, snipers shoot. And he's like, and close your blinds. People see in there. All of a sudden, like enemy snipers like just lose sight. Like all their radar goes down. <laughs> fucking blinds closed. <laughs> But get past those plastic blinds. <laughs> Mike's like her- heralded as the greatest military consultant. <laughs> next fucking billing to- like five billion dollars to the Pentagon next year. <laughs> next just close your blinds. Tony Stark set, set up like weapons. It's just you know safety and defense. <laughs> what, what are you fucking idiot? Close your fucking blinds. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the life? Oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> So there's a ton of this going back and forth and through conversation, Louisa convinced Danny to call the hospital acting as a relative to see if his father was dead or not. Danny called to find out that his father, James had survived. He was in critical condition, but he was stabilizing. The guy got shot in the fucking head, like fucking between the eyes. Pretty much. I'm always amazed by all these stories you hear of people shot. And don't get me wrong. This guy's a piece of shit, but all these stories you hear about people getting shot in the head and surviving. It's just wild. Uh, screen door intruder had a couple of headshot survivals. Didn't he? Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. He had he like, did. there was two or three like, more than you would think pistol whipped and beat or were they actually no shot? shot? Yeah. yeah. Some headshots. 
this kind of eased things a bit, but there were still about two more hours of them trying to talk Danny down. One of the biggest issues was that Danny wanted money and the couple didn't keep cash in their house like that. Louisa finally offered Danny $30 in cash, an apple, and some cookies. And Danny just stood there looking at the stuff and said, quote, well, I better get going. Steve told him that it was cold out and gave Danny a jacket. Danny put on the coat and turned around saying, quote, you know, you're never supposed to leave witnesses. Promise me that you're not going to call the police after I leave. Steve and Louisa promised and Danny rolling left saying, quote, sorry about tracking mud on your carpet. God bless you all. They weren't witnesses until you showed up and said you shot your pops, pal. Yeah. <laughs> you could have just went and robbed a liquor store and got more than 30 bucks. This guy. Yeah, he didn't read for as much, uh, you know, stalking as he did of a lot of these people. He didn't stalk them well enough to know. Like, he knows that they have a secret code word, but not that they don't carry cash. With them. <laughs> right, right. 30 bucks, all that. And an apple. What kind of apple? Probably. Like, was it a Granny Smith yeah, apple? Probably. Like, I don't want that yeah, shit. I want to hunt, get a Honeycrisp yeah. apple. Yeah. Come on, you fucking Granny Smith. Go make a if pie, you serve me a Granny Smith apple, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Honeycrisp or Fuji, or just, I don't yeah. even want to talk to you anymore. Also, I don't really like apples, so don't serve me apples. <laughs> I like fan. apples. I'm not a fan. Usually, like, I eat one or two a day. Do you? Mm-hmm. Good for you. It's healthy. I like apples. I like, like Honeycrisp. I need Honeycrisp. Well, yeah. I don't, yeah. If you're going to eat an apple, Honeycrisp. Uh, like Red Delicious? No, they're not. Who named that? <laughs> <laughs> The apple salesman <laughs> who's trying to fucking push <laughs> apples on you. From there, Danny traveled by everything from hitchhiking to stealing cars all the way from Louisiana to Colorado. He committed numerous robberies and rapes along the way, most of which happened in Kansas City and Colorado. In Boulder, Colorado, Danny attempted to rape a young woman, and when she resisted, he beat her really bad but for some reason stopped before killing her and then fled Colorado. From there, he started heading south for Florida, and that is where we will pick up on part two. In part two, we'll cover probably the most uh, graphic crime scenes we've talked about yet on this podcast. I think the only thing comparable would be the Ripper crew that we talked about. that was awful. On Patreon. The police getting the wrong guy. Again, yeah, getting a guy getting charged, some classic death penalty conversation. Hopefully, not about how <laughs> or how. Yeah, they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be a twist? And then there's some uh, Eileen Warnos twist or uh, tie-ins. Oh, look at that! Really? Yeah, we'll get to bring up Eileen again briefly. So people should go back and if they haven't listened to those episodes or listen to them again for a little refresher. Bring up Jeb Bush again. Okay. Again? When would we bring him up? Eileen. Man, I must be. He's the one that signed her her death sentence. That's Mm. right. Oh, I do remember that. All right. Uh, Final thoughts? Do a lot of people know this story? I don't know. Because I think when we even put him on the list... Ian, I know you didn't know much about him. Dave, you didn't know much about him, did you? No, I remember when it happened back in the uh, yeah. you know early 90s or whenever this ended up. This seems I didn't know like, the specifics, yeah. It seems like as, as horrific as it is and as it's going to get next week, this should be more like well-known. I'm wondering if our listeners know the Danny Rowling story. 
I think like the hardcore people at least know who he is, you know, but you're the hardcore people and you didn't really know. I didn't really know who he was. Um, I knew the Gainesville Ripper name and I remember the story from Gainesville. I don't, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have picked his name out though. Yeah. I didn't know the specifics. I think there's, there's some, I guess, I don't know, maybe charm to Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy, things like that, you know, because you can kind of gloss over some of their murders. You can be like, oh, John McGacy choked this, you know, strangled this kid. But then when you get to guys like the crimes that he committed or like Leonard Lake and Charles Ng committed. Those really graphic ones. Yeah. And and that's what you have to really talk about. I feel like the Oxygen and HLN shows kind of skip over those kind of guys. Don't want to talk about that. Interesting. All right. That makes sense. Cause I mean, in this one, one of the big, his first murder, I guess you could, you could gloss over it and say, Oh, he killed the eight year old boy, but you get into the reality of, you know, what he did just walked by. Like the kid was, uh, severed a spine and just, yeah, just out. walked by and stuck it in his back and kept walking. Yeah. So, okay. Well, you got any final thoughts on this one? I don't know. Very abusive childhood. Terrible. But not everybody that goes through that ends up doing what Danny Rowling did. The head injuries, too. A lot of head injuries. It seems to be there's this couple things that are happening to a lot of these guys. Head injuries is really a, a reoccurring thing. Are we concerned the Steelers punter is going to kill someone? <laughs> Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the Steelers <laughs> on some missed opportunities in the next game. I yes. love how the Browns lose, and yet Dave and I will just focus on one play and bring that up over and over again, so as to swerve the fact that we lost. <laughs> <laughs> Illegal play, also, if we're being honest, completely I, absurd. It was <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that's accurate. His, his helmet literally went under the guy's face mask and directly into his chin. It was the first point of contact. It was the most unneeded fucking I, hit ever. I guess he's like, it wasn't helmet to helmet. I didn't touch his helmet. Mm, not sure that was an illegal play. There was no foul call. No, there was oh, yeah. not. And there, there was not. It was a direct shot of the top of his helmet well, to that direct man's head. Some to that pretty man's head. harsh word. It was very clear that was the first point of contact. <laughs> well, the camera's not always telling the whole picture, Mike. <laughs> Just saying. There's the ex- fact that extenuating that angles to that video. <laughs> the, man, the fact that that man is still alive is, is a miracle. Well, I he you're was, exaggerating He now. was destroyed. Oh, he's a stealer, though. People are hot in Pittsburgh over that. Oh, About yeah. just as hot as when uh, Antonio Brown fucking just stepped on whatever who was that from the browns he walked right over his head he just that fucking was crazy. stepped on him i don't remember that i i will agree with browns fans on that that was pretty shitty of antonio mm. brown well in all fairness i don't up. i don't he necessarily like know if, if the browns player had any you know wasn't trying to be malicious he was just trying to make the play the antonio brown thing sounds much worse oh you've never seen that I, i'm sure i have I just right. yeah. he just like ran and just fucking yeah. kicked them right in the face and yeah, he just kept going you can't do that ian i don't know you if can't you know. even do that in martial arts <laughs> ian i don't know if you know this but i i masturbate daily to the video of miles garrett hitting mason rudolph <laughs> with his helmet it's one of the greatest videos of all time <laughs> unreal 
All right, Dave, do you have any final thoughts on this one? No, I'm going to, on two parters, Mike, I like to save my final thoughts for the second episode, if you don't mind, if of that's course. okay with you. We'll let it go. We'll let it go to next week. Let's get to some patrons. Yeah, let's. All right. Thanks to new patrons, Hans, Natalie Pattison, Elizabeth McBride, Caitlin Hanrahan, Julie, Claire Vinat, Libby Sparks, McQuella Jones, Olivia, Alicia, Hackett, Manic Pixie Dream Squirrel, Amanda LeBlanc, Das Falg, Robert Williamson, Stephanie White, Bradley Pullen, A.H., Haley Hind- Hildner, Sharon Fain, Username, Chris Lee, Jeffrey Aaron Pennington, Ida Poopoo, Anthony Coronado, Hobo Joe, Rachel Ann Rossetti, Lee, Valtteri Corella, Flamingo, Forgotten Being, Ingrid Dean, Milf Hunter 69, Olive, Samantha Davis, Mouth Merkin, Pickabrew, Courtney Carson, James Plunkett, Mason, Sheps, Jay the Canadian FedEx Guy Murray, Cole Carter, April Dooley, Sergio Rueda II, Jamie Bjork, Sarah Gordon, Brad Trombley, Jeremy, Heather Rutkowski, Alexandra Stone, Lauren Mansfield, Amber, Lady Capricorn, Jessica Eves, AC, Byron Sanchez, Pompeius, PJS, West Coast Warlord, Graham House, and Jeanette Jeffcott. Thank you all very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Talk to My Lawyer, Colo Hecris. Moonlove87 and Flick My Shelly Bean. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? Anything? So uh quick shout out. We got a care package in the in the mail from this company, Killer Cones. We got some stickers. We got some shirts. Uh very cool stuff. I can tell Ian really and likes the one he got. The the clothing is really cool. I got the um Jason one Friday thirteenth. I got the Michael Myers one. Uh, Mike had to take the only large because uh, I'm a dainty boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a dainty boy. Yeah. No, uh, no option for you with that. <laughs> they sent a really nice letter to JC and uh, check out their website killercones.co. And I believe Killer Cones on Instagram. Good stuff. Longtime patron. So. Uh, Check it out. Good stuff. There's some really cool stuff. Friend of the show. Yeah, I'm looking through the website right now. There's a really cool pinhead one that I actually really want. He's not that perfect <laughs> before we uh, turn the show off. Our, our pal was not too complimentary on the letter he sent uh, towards the Browns, but I'm going to I'm gonna let that go because I love this uh, stuff so much. R- Raider Nation can go fuck itself. But other than that. I, Look, it's not Cleveland's fault. You, the the team moved. <laughs> we have nothing to do with that. <laughs> Do people maybe people hate the Browns? The Browns did not do themselves any favors getting so cocky the past couple of years. I, the, a lot of people do not like Baker Mayfield around the NFL. I think the only people that like Baker are Cleveland people. It's pretty surprised. And Oklahoma the, fans. Yeah. Jim Ross is a big Baker Mayfield fan. Still keeps in touch with them. Actually, he's got some heat on online when you look at comment things. People outside every of, every good quarterback does. That's how you know you've made it. 
Well, outside of Colin, uh, what's it? Colin Coward. Colin Coward. He, he hates, hates Mayfield. Yeah. Damn. I don't know why I know that. And it upsets me that I know that. <laughs> Look, the guy's no Johnny yeah. Manziel. Fuck no. off, Baker haters. Eat a dick. <laughs> Eat a Coward whole bag of dicks. Also said that the NBA playoffs are better than the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard a sports <laughs> commentator say. I'm not shooting on basketball, but just compare their playoffs. It's not even close. So maybe Colin Coward does four acids. I don't know. He didn't stop at three. Like he maybe, advised maybe him to, and he lost why. his mind. Just, those opinions seem to uh, reflect the same thought process of someone <laughs> who would have done that. He does the ESPN radio in the morning, right? Either ESPN or is he with Fox Sports? I He's with thought ESPN. it was ESPN. I've maybe. never heard the show. I don't know. I, I he had like an afternoon show. I felt or like he has a radio show that it's it's shown on TV. Yeah. Maybe it's ESPN then. I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if Fox does a lot of radio shows. I can't listen to sports talk. I just, I I can listen to specific, like I listen to Edmonton Oilers radio talk every now and then. Yeah. But that's something that I'm really into. I can't listen to just generic. You know, people right now have been listening to us talk about fucking the Browns and Steelers for two hours. (laughs) Hopefully they like sports talk. (laughs) I don't know. Baker's cool, man. He's yeah, I a mean, cool dude. Yeah, like Johnny Manziel, I, I'm with you. The guy was a clown, but Baker's, yeah, Baker's cool. cool. How do we get on that? Because uh, Mr. Killer Combs oh, that's right. uh, threw out some fuck Browns. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not a fan. Um, all right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod, Necronomapod.com. He almost said Necronama Cuck, I think. Is that a new name that you're rolling out? <laughs> I, I don't. Did you trademark that? Oh, maybe we should. Necronama I'll Cuck. come to your city and fuck your dead fish wife. I'm Necro. <laughs> Necro Cuck. Necronamacuck.ca. How about that? Canadian version only. Uh, .au. <laughs> I won't be the only one going down under. <laughs> Does your wife only like missionary? <laughs> Let the necro cock visit her. She'll be taking it double anal and no time. All kinds of ads tonight. <laughs> Necrococ.ca. It's an aggressive ad. Um, I forgot where I belong. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. And uh, yeah, check it out. Closureblinds.com coming soon. <laughs> You want your wife to take it in a pooper? <laughs> Call Necrocock CA. You laugh now. Just wait till it becomes closureblinds.gov. <laughs> mm. He's like, uh, government contract? What podcast? What? <laughs> Who is this? Bye. <laughs> All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.